is Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Homestead Education. This is Mandy, of course, with Angela. We hope everybody's doing so good today. We have chosen to dive into the topic of creating and caring for a small fruit orchard on your homestead today. Um, Something that I think a lot of folks don't initially think about when they, um, they, they think about wanting to homestead or create a homestead, but it is and it is so beneficial for so many reasons. Like we'll cover them all um, and go go into some some depth and detail. You have an orchard, don't you, Angela? I do have an orchard. Um, so my property, I mean, technically all land, all properties are old, right? They all date back to something. But this farm was a producing farm um, since 1775. And so we I inherited some really old fruit trees so old that they kind of just fizzled out. And that's something that's a different topic. We can touch on that later about productivity. But yeah, in addition to those old trees, I brought in a myriad of young trees. And some of them, I honestly, I probably won't benefit from myself, but they're there for future generations. It's just sort of part of our permaculture portfolio. Yeah. And that is, that is I mean, gosh, it, it is so neat first and foremost that your your homestead is so old um ours is not that old but the farmland i guess is is very old the history is very rich and and super neat um and i think we will dive into this later in the in the podcast but you brought up a good point um just initially about how you might not benefit um from some of the trees and gosh i mean maybe you plant something too um you being just like a hole uh that you don't even love but pollinate pollinators and things like that so those are 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 other benefits not just the actual fruit i mean you get shade pollination you know the the fruits um but many many benefits so i think um I think it's kind of intimidating. Uh, I think maybe because it's not, it's it's not, like I said, maybe sought after very often or first when folks think about homesteading, but it's really not talked about too much. I mean, we talk about all the time. You can see on social media, all platforms, you know, catalogs, garden centers, things like that are very, very focused on tomatoes, peppers, those types of things. Even, um, you know, if we want to get a little bit more into like the off the wall things like blackberry bushes, raspberry bushes, those types of things, but people don't talk and, or, um, produce, I guess, in, in the mass quantities, you know, an apple tree, a pear tree, the different varieties. So I think it can be a little bit intimidating. Um, I think we should probably just start with like the basic needs of what, what one would need. Um, if they are like, Hey, I have this space. I don't know what to do with it. Let's plant an orchard. Okay. So, um, first off, anyone can grow a fruit tree. You can even grow fruit trees that aren't specific to your zone. And we'll touch on that and how that varies based on the species of fruit that you're trying to grow. But I am in zone seven And it is not warm enough for lemons and oranges to survive all winter long. So I become a container gardener in order to grow some of those things. In my greenhouse, I have olives, avocados, and citrus. And it's a way that I can grow um, 
you know, warm climate fruit trees in a cold climate area. I put them in a, under a grow light, they thrive in the winter time. And then when it's warm enough, I can move them outside. If you live in an apartment, this can still be relevant to you. You can certainly plant a dwarf or an espalier of apple tree and put it in a container, bring it outside and put it on your city apartment balcony and bring it back inside if you want to, depending on the variety in the winter months. So anybody can grow their own fruit. And in addition to what Mandy said, we touched on this before in a previous episode about how to help bees Fruit trees offer more bang for your buck when you think about the actual real estate, the the square footage, because those branches are loaded with blossoms. And that's something that your honeybees and local pollinators can feed off of. So if if contributing to the bee population is important to you, fruit trees are the way to go. So whether or not you are growing in the ground or in a pot, most fruit trees need full sun and they need water like anything else. And they need, they're gonna need more water than a vegetable crop. So same rules apply. When the soil dries out, you water it. It just takes more because it's a bigger plant. So it's drinking more. Your plant is only going to grow as large as its environment. So if you are keeping a lemon tree in a pot and it's a small pot, your lemon tree can't be expected to grow very big. You know, we have to think about the root system and how that supports the upper growth. So if you want a large canopy, you got to give it a bigger pot. Um, and then, of course, whether you're growing citrus or you're growing an apple or whatever, there's different soil types. You need to get citrus soil versus standard potting mix. Um, so those are some things to keep in mind for potting the trees themselves. You want to touch on soil pH, Mindy? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, just a, a topic that I think, again, is sometimes very tricky for a lot of folks. Um, a lot of people just don't necessarily alter their pH or really know what you mean when you're like, hey, your pH needs altered. In my experience, um, anywhere from about 6 to 7 pH, which is 6.5 neutral. I mean, so you're pretty much just like right there in the middle. Um, most fruit trees will tolerate that, that pH. So, uh, a lot of times you're not having to do a whole bunch, or I guess in our soil, in our region, in the United States, you don't have to do a whole bunch. That's pretty much where our pH is most of the time. Um, it, it, it will vary obviously across, across the, the United States and the country. I mean, it's just like how you, you know, like red dirt is certain places. Some places are known for their clay and, and whatnot. Um, and more, and in my experience, if here, and we're zone six, um, if we have to do anything, we're needing to raise the pH. Um, so you can just add like a soil limestone to do that. But most often we're not doing anything. And I think that's another thing. Like you, um, if you're just doing like an orchard in the ground, you don't have to do a lot of, it's not, it's not like a lot of work, right? Um, like you said, full sun and water. Um, and, and you're, you're gonna, some pruning and we can touch on that, but you're, as long as you have some patience, you're going to be able to, um, you know, bear the fruits of your labor. Yeah. That, that, yeah, definitely a, a waiting game on this one. This is a bit more of a time investment. Maybe that's why there's less mm, fruit tree growers than your standard vegetable crops. Yeah. Um, but I also, think that's why it's it's less sought after. 
right? It's just not, it's just not as, um, I mean, easy quote unquote is, is not the term I'm looking for. Cause I think it's very easy. You pretty much don't do a, a lot to it for most of the year. You don't really have to baby the plants. Like you have to do most of the things in your garden, but you have to wait a long time and that's hard. Yeah, for sure. And some people will argue, well, you only, you know, you only get sort of one harvest and then you're waiting for a full year. Well, that's when you need to start looking into specific trees for storage. If you want to keep apples, there's all different varieties specific to that. Um, But to get back on track here, so when do you plant a fruit tree? Obviously, if you're doing it in a container or you're in a warm climate, it's going to be a little different. But for those of us located in zone sevens and with lower growing zones, colder climates, we really need to plant when the tree is dormant but your soil, your ground is thawed or not yet frozen. So you're looking at late fall, uh, winter time, if you don't have frozen soil, or you're going to be looking at spring after the thaw. The reason we want to do it when the tree is in a dormant state is because otherwise it can go into shock. So there's a lot of roots. It's a big plant. You want to do it when you're able to put the root ball in the ground, give it water, put that soil back in, mulch around it if that's in your gardening practice, Um, but it just allows the tree some time to get settled Mm -hmm. and to establish itself before it starts leaping out and before it starts putting all of its time and effort into creating flowers and buds. Um, Not everyone is going to get fruit that first season. That's why when you go look at orchard trees, citrus trees, you see things on there, not just about the size gallon pot that it comes in, but it's age. You'll see two to three years, four to five years is because it takes trees a while to be able to bear fruit. And we also get into different classifications like cross-pollination. So I think the first thing we should just talk about is general classifications of trees with regard to space, right? Because this is a bigger plant. Yes. Yeah. So I think one thing, we'll just go from small to large, a tree size that most urban gardeners opt for, which still provides a ton of fruit, is it's pronounced espalier. Um, a lot of people mistakenly pronounce it espalier. That's fine. But these are the sort of decorative looking, maybe topiary style fruit trees. And they can be functional. They can provide privacy. You can train them up walls. But this is a great option for growing fruit in a very small amount of space along a wall or in a container. Yeah. And I think before you even continue, I mean, the way that they're classified, the easiest way that I have been able to remember is just they're classified by how they grow, but that goes for all plants. Right. So, I mean, um, when you talk about pole beans versus bush beans, so it's just an easy way to, I mean, when you're looking, remember when you're looking at like those seed packets or when you're looking at the tags that will come on these trees for your orchard, it's going to tell you a lot of information. So it's a good way to remember they're classified. Uh, So what Angela is talking about, the classifications are directly related to how they're going to grow. Exactly. So with espaliered, this, this first of four classifications, you're going to get a lot of fruit per square foot. In fact, these trees are so small, but so productive, they yield more fruit in relation to their size, in proportion to their size than any other of the fruit tree classifications. So if you're in a small space, don't fret. You can do apples, pears. There's all kinds of things you can grow in an espalier format. Might just take a little bit more hands-on pruning time or shaping if that's your thing. 
The next classification would be dwarf trees. So these are trees that are small. I have a dwarf cherry, for example, right next to my house because I wanted fruit there, but I didn't want it encroaching on my foundation or knocking into my, my walls or my roof. These are generally eight feet in diameter or less. You do get full-size fruit. People think if you plant a smaller tree, you're going to get mini fruit. You're not. It's just a smaller tree. It's still the same size apple, for example. Yep. And you will yield fruit, generally speaking, in three to five years. So if you're looking for a quick producing tree, you want to look at a dwarf, or you also can look at an espalier tree. They are also quick producers. Um, do you want to touch on semi-dwarf, Mandy? Yeah. Um, I think that those are probably going to be the most common, um, that you're going to see or that we see here in our zone, our zone. Um, and because I think most people, um, I mean, name, I guess it it stands for itself. So it's just going to be a little bit larger. (laughs) I mean, it's, and most folks can grow them, um, with with you don't you still don't need a ton of space I guess is what I'm trying to say um they're not going to be you know like the the 30 foot shade producing type of trees I mean we do have some and I would have to go back and look at our sheet we have some peach trees here that were here prior to us moving and gosh are well probably now close to probably 18 something years old and they are massive 30 something feet tall so we're not talking about something like that so also a very good option i think that in most zones probably going to be um the most widely seen at like your commercial nurseries and things like that these because they are a bit bigger than our doors they do take a bit longer to produce yeah. fruit so whereas the other ones were three to five because they're smaller they establish more quickly you're looking at about five years for sure plus before you're going to see fruit from a semi-dwarf tree. But that being said, they they do produce for about 15 to 20 years. You just have to allocate. Make sure you know, go out there before you plant. Because trust me, I've tried to move trees before and it, it doesn't work out well. Yeah. Same. You've got to, it's sort of a one and done for planting. So go out and measure. You're going to need about 12 to 15 feet in diameter comfortably yeah. for a semi-dwarf fruit tree. But also remember you could, that doesn't mean you can't plan to like plant something under it. That just means you're planning for 12 to 15 foot diameter for the canopy. So if you have a building structure there, those branches are going to grow upwards and outwards and they're going to hit it. Doesn't necessarily mean you can't account for walking space. Yeah. And as you go up in, um, I guess, size and classification, another good thing or just easy rule of thumb is when we're looking at how long it's going to take to bear the fruit, like you said, you're adding a couple of years. So that's just something to kind of keep in mind too. And, um, you might get some, like we have some baby fruit trees out there, but you're getting like five pears the first year or something like that. So it's not super, it's not measurable by any means. But still super exciting. Yes. That easy harvest. Really good pie or something with those five fruits. Yeah. Yeah. So then up from that, we had, we talked about espalier, dwarf, semi-dwarf. Our last group here is going to be full or standard size trees. These are the massive sort of storybook looking apple trees um, that you think of. They are absolutely huge. You're looking at 20 to 30 feet in diameter. These are the big guys that you need to bring in a professional arborist for pruning. 
why would you grow this? Because you're getting four to eight bushels per season of fruit. So that means 400 to 800 pounds of fruit, depending on the exact species, the variety that you're growing. That's a lot of fruit. Um, We're going to include all of this information in our show notes. So if you want to be able to go back and look at, you know, the diameter, how much fruit is being produced, we'll have these classifications typed up for you. But, um, then the, the last group is just sort of those oldies that you're trying to restore, right? And that's I have a lot of those. I've got a cherry, I got a couple apples, got some pears, and um, that fruit is mealy as hell. But I tell you something, it makes me happy that they grow, and I do bring out an arborist to help keep those cleaned and pr- because if, if nothing else, it's just a safety consideration, right? You don't want old oh, yeah. broken branches falling. Those are huge, massive branches. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and you bring up a good point about pruning. Mm-hmm. When, when do we prune? When, when should people be pruning their fruit trees? So yes, let's move into pruning. I prune my fruit trees as one should in the dormant season. So, um, we're looking at December, January, and February. I really don't recommend pruning any later than January because, as the weather is sort of changing and warming up, our spring is starting earlier and earlier. You you open the tree up to a lot of disease and um, just general un- unhealthiness if you're going to wait and create open wounds and, and the tree has to try to callous itself over while it's focusing its energy on creating leaves. So really just focus on end of December and all through January and you're looking at removing, I remember it by the three Ds. You want to get rid of decayed diseased or dead wood. That's the first thing that you are trying to remove. You need a pair of clipping shears, also a good pair of just general tree loppers. And you're just going to go right at the base of whatever piece of wood you're trying to remove right at that main branch. And the tree will callus over over the wintertime. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very important. We talk about the dormant stage with the planting and um, also with the pruning It is just a just overall general tree health, it has to be during that, that stage because you, um, co I mean, you're not going to probably kill your fruit tree if you're pruning in the spring or even in the summer. And it's not to say that you can't do some minor tweaks or anything like that. But when a lot of times when you are pruning, um, especially if you're trying to like bring back an old fruit tree, it's like a, it's a day job. Um, that's why there are folks that actually do this for a living. Um, and there are different styles that you can prune it in and all that stuff too. So, I mean, you can get really fancy, uh, but all of those like crisscross branches and the tiny ones and like the runners and stuff like that. I mean, you can look at probably one of our, our pear, peach, they probably need a really good pruning. And I think it's very scary to people to go out there and you're cutting off like sometimes 30% of the whole tree. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, it, where's all this going? But, um, it is, is very beneficial and, and honestly essential, uh, for the health of the tree. Yeah. I mean, even after you remove those, those three D's, the dead decay and diseased, you're just sort of helping to open up the canopy. If your leaves are overlapping on top of one of each other, and you think about moisture and all that rain and humidity that we get in the warmer months, that's going to cause leaf rot. So really the idea is we're opening it up. We're allowing for airflow, but also we're, we're allowing sunlight to get through. And when you have fruit, 
that sunlight is going to be able to ripen the fruit um, much more effectively if we can open that up. And you, you just want to encourage new growth. If a tree is trying to salvage um, a dying branch, we want to get rid of it so it can focus its energy elsewhere. It's the same concept as abscission in plants. They get rid of, pick off, they shed um, sort of problematic growth. The other reason yeah. you can prune is just to control the size of your tree. So if you just find that your tree is getting too big, you can just prune and shape it as you need to. Um, one thing that I think confuses a lot of people and is really intimidating, though, is the whole idea of pruning and leaders when it comes to your orchard fruit trees, apples, pears and cherries specifically. Mm-hmm. Um you have to shape your tree. And the reason you have to shape it is because you want to create sort of the strong foundation or undercarriage and allow smaller and um, less heavy branching in the center and at the top. So there's a couple different types of leaders. And again, this will be in the show notes. You should also look these up for photos online. One of the most common system is a central leader. So let's picture the trunk of our apple tree, right? If you want that trunk to go straight upwards, all the way up to the tippy top as it narrows, there's going to be side branching growing off of the sides. You can't see me right now, but I'm talking with my hands and I'm illustrating. So like picture these side branches off of this long central main stem. That's going to be called a central leader shape. So the idea is when you're pruning, you're saying, okay, I designated this center branch, this trunk as my main guy. I'm going to go ahead and take off anything that appears to be sort of stealing the show. The second thing you would do is a modified central leader. So let's say you do naturally have a central leader, but it's not that great. And you have an excellent, strong looking secondary branch that might kind of be growing off to the side. You decide, I don't care if my tree leans a little bit. I'm going to have that be my main leader. You're going to cut off all of the other sort of thicker, heavier branches and focus on that one as your central or as, as your main, your sort of star of the show. Lastly, it's very common that you will see these with peach trees because this increases production. It is the biggest bang for your buck with regard to yield. That's going to be the open center. So picture like a vase or an upside down umbrella. That's where you create essentially like a cup shape with your main branches and you really open up and remove everything that's in the center. And the reason that that maximizes root production is because you've opened it up so much and you're allowing only really the outside branches to create fruit. It focuses the energy on fruit production on those exterior branches. There's nothing for the tree to work on on the inside. Yeah. I mean, very, very good information. Like you said, we'll have all this in the notes because I think some of the the verbiage can be confusing and kind of foreign too. I mean, if it's something that, um, like we talked about in the beginning, it's just not very, it's not talked about super often in the home setting community or in the, you know, the gardening world. Um, you're going to hear other words like um, when we talk about pruning, um, heading or thinning, um, you brought up shoots and things like that. And thinning typically, I mean, uh, we, you know, you do like thinning of your tomato plants and it's, it's kind of the same thing to help with sunlight and airflow and all of those things. Um, thinning cuts don't typically induce vegetable growth or fruit growth, um, near that cut. You're just kind of like minimizing the excess, the excess shoots, 
um, on the tree. And something that we learned in school that is just like so cool when you can do a thinning cut on your fruit tree, if it's a little bit older, wouldn't do it on like a, a young tree. So maybe on even on like some of your old, old trees. Um, and when that, you know, so you'd have to, you know, kind of pay, pay attention to the tree the, the year previous but if you know that that branch or that shoot fruited last season there are actually buds um you see them on like the branches but if that if that branch or shoot fruited the last season there are actually buds that are embedded um into the the bark collar of that shoot and it will produce a fruiting shoot. So if you're like trying to train it to go a different way or something like that, it is very, very interesting. Um, and something that is very new to me. And I feel like I'm almost still, uh, a very much a beginner, but fruit trees are awesome. They are awesome. And I think with all of the information out there, not just on this podcast, but visuals, YouTube is huge. That's how I learned a lot of, um, of sort of the ins and outs of pruning and what exactly a diseased piece of wood looks like or something that's on its way to being diseased. Visuals are huge. If you can get a mentor, even better. Um, because you're going to know what you're dealing with local to your climate, which I think is where pollinator groups and zone requirements slash chill hours come in. Because you cannot just go online and order any tree that you like. If you say, I really like this type of apple, I get it at the grocery store all the time. That might not grow that well in your area. Um, so say that you decide to tackle uh, the home orchard. You're ready to get a tree. You're ready to commit. you got to keep a couple things in mind. The first is you've got to look at your pollinator group. Mm -hmm. Pollinator groups really are nothing more than types of trees being lumped together based on when they blossom because you don't want to get two types of apples established in your orchard and have one bloom at the very beginning of spring and then have the other one bloom in late July. No cross-pollination is gonna happen. They need to bloom at the same time so that honeybees and other pollinators can transfer pollen between the two. So the idea is you're looking at groups based on blossom set. So if you have group A, basically what that just means is they're gonna be the first to bloom of any of the orchard trees group B, group C, group D and E, and so on. So when you find an apple tree, make sure you look at the tag. It'll clearly state which group, it'll say group A or group one, and it'll say whether or not it needs a cross-pollinating partner. Always look at that and find one from the same group. You can absolutely get a self-pollinating tree. That means that they don't need a cross-pollinating partner from the same group. But here's the thing. They will always, always increase their fruit yield if they have a partner. Okay, so they're happy on their own, but they do better together. So you really want to try to get a partner if you can. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you can get, we could get so, you know, deep dive into certain um, fruit trees like peach, for example, they need most varieties will need a, a buddy but a lot of times they even do better if you have a, a different species or, or you have a different um type of what am i trying to say you have a different type of peach tree so you have peach tree a and you have peach tree b and they're not really the exact same classification um they both need each other where you know you could have you could have two a's or two b's but they're going to do better 
So you could get even more into that. Um, But it's really important. A lot of times people, people don't know that and they go out and they're like, I just want an apple orchard or something like that. Um, Or I only want one, I only have space for one apple tree or one peach tree. Uh, It's not going to do well. You're not going to get anything most likely. Yeah. So I think that's, that's exactly right. I think what Mandy, like to put it in an example, you wouldn't get two um, blue damson plum trees. They're both A or group A probably, right? But you wouldn't get two of those. You would need to get a blue damson plum tree, which is part of group A. And you might need to get like, I don't know, a Mirabelle, Mirabelle plum tree, which is part of group A. They're both in the same group, but they're different varieties. So you can't get two Mirabelle plums. You can't get two, I mean, you could, but you're still gonna need another partner. You're still going to need something of a different variety within that flowering group, that blossoming group. And it all really just goes back to pollination. That's really all, mm-hmm. that, that's really the only reason. Um, it's not, be, I mean, because uh, you need the pollinators so that then you have fruit. Um, and so it's it's not hard. It's just kind of knowing the basic rules. And most of that stuff's going to be on a tag. Um, or reach out or like you said, YouTube is very good resource, especially for these things that are not um, widely discussed as often um, and being able to actually like see what what we're talking about when we say do a thinning cut or, you know, how deep do you need to plant it? Things like that. I mean, great resources, but it's really just reaching out and um, finding that information that's definitely accessible. I think the last thing that we'll touch on is chill hours and zone requirements. Hopefully, if you go to a garden center to pick up your fruit tree, I would assume that if they are reputable and know what they're doing, they're going to be selling trees that you can take home and plant in the ground and grow right away. But it's a little different if you're a tree junkie and order them all the time online like I do. I'm not going to buy a tree that's not compatible with my zone, just like any other plant that you grow. But the way we word this in tree language is chill hours. What that means is, first of all, I did not know apples are not grown as prevalently in the South because they need a certain amount of chill hours. A chill hour is essentially just equivalent of one hour that the tree spends in the 32 to 45 degree Fahrenheit temperature range. In the South, obviously they have less of that. Apples need that chill time. So Mm -hmm. apples are grown less prevalently in the South. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mind-blowing, at least for me, when I learned about that. It is very cool. I mean, when we say chill hours too, we're talking about like hundreds of them. It's not just like a couple of hours. And so a lot of that is just very confusing if you've never heard it before, but you're talking about like the amount of hours, literally that it's chill. We're talking about weather. It's all just about your climate and your region. Yeah. And so that's why when you look at things like citrus, Mm -hmm. olives, quince, they naturally require less chill hours in order to leaf out and have blossoms than what your cherries, apples, peaches, you know, your standard orchard fruits we think of, obviously they require more. So what happens if you get a fruit tree that really does need a lot of chill hours, but you're down in Louisiana and you print plant that tree? Well, it's just going to leaf out and sure it could blossom. And that seems like a really great thing. Like, oh, it's just going to blossom earlier in the year. It's going to leaf out earlier. 
trees like that really aren't meant to have longer bloom times, longer leaf periods. And when you sort of force them to elongate those periods of time, the tree has a hard time dealing with it and it causes a lot of health issues. You're opening up the tree to pests and disease. So really pay attention to those tags. Two biggest things to pay attention to when you figure out you want your apple, for example, look at the chill hours, make sure it's compatible with your zone. And then also look at that pollination requirement. Like we said before, is it self fertile? Can you get a partner? And if you do need a partner, make sure you get one of a different variety in the same pollinator group. Those are the two biggest things. Yep. I mean, you nailed it. Those are, those are the two biggest things to remember um, and most beneficial. I wish I could grow like olives and citrus outdoors though. Same thing with like um, the way blueberries grow. I mean, they also, you talk about berry bushes and things like that. You'll see the word chill hours and, and pruning and stuff associated with that as, as well as like nut trees. Um, but yeah, I mean, blueberries are, I guess, a little bit different. We're not going to go into it, but you know, the, the soil acidity and they, but they also need those chill hours and the, the amount of time that's going to be like under, I think, I think 45 or something like that degrees Fahrenheit. So it is very, very cool. Um, and I wish that we could grow citrus as well. Yeah, that would be so awesome. Yeah. But I did learn in New Jersey, apparently persimmon are kind of a thing here. My arborist was telling me, I don't know anyone that grows it. So I'm not sure where it's a thing, but apparently they do well here. Um, hmm. So that's kind of exciting. But yeah, um, trees, I think if nothing else, planting your own orchard, it's just kind of a cool way to open up your gardening education and experience, right? We often focus on, like Mandy said, on the raised bed. We look at fruit in the garden in the form of melons, tomato. And then this is a way to create another sort of nutritious, um, self-sufficient form of produce that really doesn't take up that much space because all you, you know, specifically speaking, not branch speaking, but like, you can, you can still walk underneath it. You can still plant underneath it. You can look at companion planting. You can do permaculture guilds. I mean, and you, and you get a ton of food out of that plant. And for years to come. So it's also something too. I mean, it, I think if you have a space and, um, you know, you're providing shade and you get fruit and, you know, you know, think pollen pollination. So, I mean, it's multi beneficial. Um, and, it is, we think, very awesome. So any questions or like Angela said, we'll have a lot of this information in show notes. YouTube is also a great resource, but we're always here to help um, and hope you all have a really good day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.